Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Woo! Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. We have a packed morning this morning, but hope it's very energizing for you. We got more worship a little bit later on for you. Um, But I just want to give you a heads up. The only thing we got kind of going on right now as far as um, just extra events and things like that. We're going to be heading down to Mexico, down to the uh, Tijuana Christian Missions and the orphanage down there. They have two orphanages, small kids, the teens. Remember, we're hitting the teens in February, and so we're going to do a lunch for them. And then uh, I'm going to do some basic self-defense jujitsu. You don't have to know martial arts. We're just going to kind of just, it's fun for them to do classes because they're teenagers, so we have something to do. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we have room for you. And so right now, uh, just the two of us right here. So, yeah, we got two of us going. Love to bring about five or six because that would help us kind of complete uh, everything. So uh, you can sign up online. You can fill out a card. I think those are on the communion tables. Uh, text me, email me, let me know. That would be great. And we'll get you signed up going for that. So be praying about that. And we're just looking forward to uh, They love it. They absolutely love it when people come and visit, spend time with them. Again, uh, these guys are in an orphanage, especially the teenagers. They've been in there for a while. So any kind of like God's love is just awesome for them. So uh, if you have uh, questions, let me know. Be able to answer that. Um, also, a uh, couple or uh, one other thing I want to remind you of is next week. Do you know what's going on next Sunday? No football. No football. No football people here. We got a, we got a Super Bowl. Yeah. For you non-athletic people, you're like, I don't care. No, no. But the Super Bowl, here's one thing I want to encourage you. Uh, it's not about football per se, unless you're betting, then it is. Uh, so, but uh, uh, just be mindful as you're doing parties, things like that, inviting each other. It's awesome. Uh, be mindful of your neighbors, people are disconnected from God. Those are great opportunities. Again, be inviting people in uh, and just hanging out with them. You don't have to do a Bible study or at halftime, open up your Bible, and, you know, anything like that. But just kind of it's a great time just to be rubbing elbows with people that maybe that God's trying to, to reach and uh, you could be a part of that. So just be mindful of that. Uh, it's not just about football. Um, so I want to start off as I normally do, not every week, but kind of what the thesis or what the kind of point is, and then we're going to jump in and kind of go from there. Uh, so if you want to write this down, this is kind of the main guiding principle of today. It's this, that prayer is our greatest power. Prayer is our greatest power in protecting and expanding God's church. Prayer is our greatest power or weapon when it comes to protecting and expanding God's church. We're in Acts chapter 12 and 13, and uh, we're on about a, a three or four month journey where we've been talking about the early church and how did it function? What did it look like? How did God want it to be set up so it really looked like him? Jesus left, and what did he say? You guys are gonna do greater things than me. Most of us are like, there's no way. Well, then you're calling Jesus a liar. So you got a, you got a predicament there. If you're like, there's no way. Well, he said it. So if we believe it, then how do we live it, right? And that can be hard because especially in our culture today, many of us probably feel like the church is, is the church really effective? Does it really look like Jesus? And so that's something for us not to look at other churches and point the finger. Why don't we just look at ourselves? and worry about ourselves, and that's what we're doing. And what does it look like to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, to represent him, where it's not about us, it's about him. And one of the things that Jesus was about is not just like, 
growing in your character and in your integrity and like learn, slowly becoming like him. But also he says, I came to seek and save the lost. So if a church is going to look like Jesus, we have to be more concerned with people that are disconnected from him than did we get our Bible study done? Did we pray the right way? Did I get to my church attendance? Did I, are things working out for me? We got to get outside of that because that's what Jesus is about. There's people that are lost, right? And what we've learned so far is that as we do that, that God's already working on certain people's hearts. So it's not all up to us. We just participate with him. He's already working on people, people that you think there's no way he's working on. And God's like, I am. But now we're going to see as the church is about to blow up, we've been going about 10, 11 chapters. The church is about to just go berserk. How does that happen? I want to propose to you today that it's a, it's a church that just starts praying and has been praying like madmen. And that when a church ceases to pray, a church ceases to look like Jesus and a church ceases to reach the world and our community. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, let's do this. Jesus, my prayer for Acts's church, Lord, is that we wouldn't be this nice American church, but we'd be a church that looks like you. We would never worry about our comfort, the building, never worry about what people think of us, but we just try to be a church that when we get done with our lives, you would say, hey, good job, you played your role. We don't have to be the biggest, the fastest growing, the coolest, the edgiest. Lord, we just wanna fulfill what you have for us. And every church in this valley, you have a goal, you have a desire for. Help us to fit the niche that you have and to be faithful in that, Jesus. And I pray today would really inspire us that we have a father who loves to listen, who loves to act, but wants to interact with us. For some of us, God, we have so much shame and guilt Sin has weighed us down. Satan has lied to us that we feel like we can't go to you. We feel like our prayers are ineffective. We bought the lie and we stopped praying. And so we laid down our swords. We laid down the guns and we have no power now. God, I pray for some of us as soldiers should that we'd pick it up and start to fight again, knowing we're sinners who have been saved and we're not pure, but you make us pure. And we're not the best, but you say when we pray, things happen. In our schools, at work, in our communities, in our nation, politically, educationally, socially, everything happens when a church begins to pray. And I pray we'd be a prayerful church. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 12. We're picking up now. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belong to the church intending to persecute them. Churches will go through times when they're not persecuted and they are persecuted. I want to encourage you with this. Churches thrive in any environment. For those of you that are wondering, oh my God, where our nation's going, what's going to happen? Christians thrive, whether it's democratic or socialistic, whether we have a dictator, whatever, a king, all through human history, you can't stop Christianity. So just relax. Don't know what the future's going to bring. Vote, peacefully protest, don't peacefully protest, whatever you want to do. I, I don't, mass, no mass. We don't care about that, right? Because in any environment, Christianity can thrive. That's why we stay focused on this church. Well, the church now was going through a time of intense pressure. And what do they do? Well, we're going to see. What do they do when this happens? So it says that, hey, persecution came. This was God's will. So those Christians that were praying, God, protect us from persecution. God's like, nope, not going to answer that prayer. Because people that are persecuted actually inspire and light a fighter under the church. Sometimes when church gets apathetic is when we have no persecution, life is good. And we just fit American Christianity where it's all about the American dream, not the dream of Jesus. So sometimes God will allow it. So pray that there's no persecution. But when there is, say, 
It's your will. Now pray that we have the strength to endure it. How about that prayer? I don't know where we're going, but we're learning from the church what happens when persecution came. And it says that this king had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also, who was a leader in the Jerusalem church. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. So after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. Just so you know, this was not so much about Christianity. This was a, uh, it was a, a political show. I wanted to make an example of this group that at the time Christianity was very small. Some considered it a cult. So we wanted to make an example of, hey, I'm a king of the people, right? So this was for political applause, this is to be popular. And so there's a lot of dynamics going on here of why he was doing this. There's really maybe nothing that Christians were doing, but they were the persecuted group at the time. So Peter was kept in prison. Oh, get your pens and pencil out, here we go. But the church was protesting. Is that what your Bible says? But the church was angry at Herod. Is that what your Bible says? But the church was like, we need reform. Is that what your Bible says? Some of you are like, I wrote that in my Bible. Does that make? <laughs> but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly prayer. Circle, underline that. I had a lot of time this week. I looked up earnest. You know what earnest means? Fervent. Persevering, ongoing, never stopping. Have you earnestly wanted something? Whether it's something in education, maybe you earnestly wanted something as far as a goal, physical fitness, earnestly wanted a career, education. You sacrificed a lot, right? There was times when you just disciplined. It didn't matter how you felt. Earnest means I don't care how I feel. Earnest means I'm gonna do that because I'm so pumped about the end result. I don't care how I feel. Can you imagine praying that way? Wake up, doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter how I feel if I have a good week or a bad week. Doesn't matter how I feel if I feel like God is close to me or God is far from me. It doesn't matter if, boy, I didn't sin a lot or I did sin a lot. It doesn't, I'm earnest, ongoing, constantly. So we see that now they're praying, miracles happen. Do you believe that? They're praying, miracles happen. So this miraculous thing, I'll let you read uh, the rest of the story. I'm going to jump just for the sake of time down to verse 12. But uh, an angel appears, gets him out. And uh, it says in verse 12, if you want to jump down there with me. It says, when this dawned on him. So he didn't know if he's having a dream, if this angel was real. But all of a sudden, there's this sense of he's out of prison and it kind of dawned on him like, whoa, this just was like miraculous. This just went down. It says that from there, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where what happened? Many people had gathered and were praying. They were still praying. But they were praying together. They were coming together in prayer. It wasn't like, hey, there's a prayer request. So while you're at home, it was something's happening. The church gathered for prayer. There's something powerful about that. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So they were praying. 
Well, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. (laughs) And so she ran back and said, Peter's at the door. And the church had so much faith, they said, of course he is. Is that what your Bible says? Don't you love the early church? You're out of your mind. Come on, we're praying for a miracle, but it's not like God's going to do it, right? I just want to encourage you that many of us pray and we pray as far as like, God, do a miracle. And then our minds were like, eh, it'll probably be like a small, weak miracle. And God's looking to do big things. And, and here's the thing. Your faith isn't that you demand God do something big. Your faith is just that you pray and then just that you receive it when he does it. But of course, we're humans. We doubt things, right? God, get me out of this financial mess. And we think it's never going to happen. And we feel the stress. And then years later, we see how God just worked these amazing miracles. God provided me with a godly spouse. And we're meeting people. And we're like, well, they're not God. They're not following it. Where are the godly spouses? And all of a sudden, he provides. And, you know, just all these miracles. Does miracles in our political system that if we watch, we're seeing through years of prayer where God's like doing things. Overseas praying for missionaries. And we see amazing things happen. But we've got to have eyes to see. So many of us pray for the miracle and then God does it and we never see it and we just live our lives. We gotta be able to receive it. And you might be blown away by it, probably. God tends to do things in ways that we don't understand. And that's what excites us to pray. And so they didn't even really, couldn't believe it. And so when, they, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. They were astonished. The beauty of prayer is it's such a powerful weapon because we can do amazing, thought, uh, amazing things for God when we work for God, when we obey him. But even more miracles happen when we get on our knees and just pray and watch his hand work above our hands, beyond us. And that's the thing is God wants to partner with us. There's things he wants to do. And I know for many of us, we think, but why would God want to do that? Like he doesn't need us. And I would say, you're right. You're absolutely right. But as a father does with his child, right? Maybe working on the car or maybe doing something. The kid says, hey, can I help? For many of us dads, it's like, okay, this is going to be a distraction. They're not going to do it right. But what does the dad do? Hey, come along and shows them how to do it. And the son learns how to be a man from the dad. And then as they get older, they learn to do things on their own. As we learn from Jesus, then we become to do things like Jesus but he wants to participate with us, to train us, to show us his love, his power. And so he doesn't need us, but he wants us. And that's what makes the love of God amazing. And it makes it unique from any other world religion. Because most world religions are God doesn't need you. God doesn't really want to like you. So you better like prove yourself, do these chants, be super obedient, be super spiritual so God likes you. And where the gospel is flipped is, listen, he created you. He already loves you. You've been rebellious. He wants to receive you. No, he doesn't need you. He wants you. It's a wanting kind of love. That's amazing. That's a different kind of love than someone that just needs you, but they don't want you. You see, what we see here is before the church is about to explode, prayer is important because it's important because it protects the church. I want to encourage you with this if you want to continue to read on and maybe read through chapter 12 later this week and just kind of go over it after you hear the sermon and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But notice that he doesn't just protect by freeing Peter. This King Herod, who's all-powerful, how are you going to get rid of a guy like that? You can't vote. They're king. There's no voting. 
right? What do, you, what do you do? Let God take care of it. In the verses after this, verse 23 and 24, it said that Herod, because uh, he was so arrogant, was claiming to the people that he was like a God and that God killed him. And I went to the church was like, oh, dang. <laughs> like they were praying for protection of the church and God's like, no, I'm gonna free Peter. I'm gonna kill that dude who is so arrogant that he thinks he's gonna start killing people in my church. When you let God take care of things, sometimes it's better than how we would take care of things. And that's the beauty of prayer. In fact, sometimes I think the church, what we tend to do is we tend to overestimate our own strength and that's why we pray less and we do things. And I've even seen this in Christianity where you actually are doing things in the name of God, but you're not doing it really in faith. You're doing it out of your own strength. God hasn't called you to it. And so we can get busy as Christians doing things and saying we're doing it in the name of the Lord. And God's like, uh, I could do a better job. You just prayed. And we work ourselves to the bone and we think we're super spiritual because we're serving all the time, doing all the time, starting. I've seen this in Christianity and I've seen burnout happen. What happened? They seemed so spiritual. Well, they wanted to look spiritual because they thought Christian busyness was effectiveness. Why? Because many of us are insecure as Christians. We want to be seen as good people. And I'll say that as among pastors and leaders. We want to be seen as efficient, this and that. And God's like, it's not about you. How about you work a little less and pray a little bit more? So God protects the church, but then we see in the next chapter, Acts 13, 1. He doesn't just want us to pray constantly to protect the church. He also wants to expand his church, and that is started primarily through prayer. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, it says, Now in the church of Antioch, uh, just so you know, we're seeing this pattern in churches universally. So chapter 12 was the Jerusalem church. Now we're seeing a church that was not necessarily Jewish. They were primarily Greco-Roman. So we're seeing this universally. And that's what we want to look at. Like, not just one church, but how was the universal church? How were they all kind of praying? Well, we see now God's spirit is moving in the church that's not primarily Jewish in a city of Antioch. And it says there, there were prophets and teachers. It says Barnabas was there, uh, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manain, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, amongst many others. And so it's just showing you here that just so you know, these names to us were like, dude, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. The Bible is just written to show you that all of a sudden the church was moving primarily from a Jewish faith. All of a sudden it was really expanding out amongst the Greco-Romans. So to the early readers, that was just so you know, that was a big deal. I know you're like, just a bunch of names. It's a big deal because it's showing the church is shifting and God is actually using people that we never thought he would use. And so it says that now the Antioch church is praying just like the Jerusalem church. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after that, they fasted and prayed some more. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. And this would begin now a huge just expansion of the church as they sent out these missionaries that were sent out by the Holy Spirit as they were praying and fasting as a church. And I want to encourage you with this. The reason it's important that we pray constantly is because that God wants to speak constantly to us. For many of us, we never hear from God because we're not constantly interacting with God. Now, we might throw the, the 911 to him every once in a while where there's an emergency, but have you had those friends or those relationships, they only call you when it's an emergency and then you never hear from them? That's not really a relationship, right? And God wants a relationship. That's what's important to him. 
And so this is how God expands his church, is by speaking to them, giving them assignments. Do you believe that God has an assignment for our church, for people in our church? Then it's going to mean that we're meeting together for prayer and that it's constant. Praying together is powerful also in our lives because in what we see here in the early church is that it was communal prayer, not individual prayer. Communal prayer is important. And I would say communal prayer is important in this way. Communal prayer is important. It's powerful because it unites us, right? It's powerful when you pray with people. Have you noticed that? Even people you don't know. There's just something else when you have a bond with them. It's, it's a supernatural bond because you're united and we've got to go to God together. So even if I don't know you, I don't know your background, where you're from, there's something where it's like, wherever you're from, we're united that we need to go to the big guy. And there's, there's power in that uniting. Uh, communal prayer also inspires us because you hear people pray in a different way, pray for a different topic. And it's very, I don't know if you've noticed that, that when you pray in community, and that's why I encourage you guys, to like, don't, don't get scared and stop praying because you might say something that encourages and inspires someone else. You know, I don't know for sure, but when it says that the Holy Spirit said to set apart uh, Barnabas and Saul, it doesn't say exactly how. And I wonder, because I've seen this, where you're praying and someone prays something and it becomes prophetic for someone else in the group. Someone prays something and someone in the group receives it like, ooh, that prayer was for me. And what happens is the Holy Spirit was telling that person, this is what I want you to pray. And they're like, okay. They prayed it and someone else received it and they might not ever say anything. They might just walk away going like, ooh, that was for me. Communal prayer is powerful because it unites us, it inspires us, but I want to encourage you with this. It also empowers us to pray when we are apart from each other. Many of us struggle from individual prayer because we're not attached to communal prayer. And what I found in my life is the more I'm attached to communal prayer, it then inspires me to pray on my own because God does encourage us to pray on our own. But it usually comes from praying in community. It's just like with anything else right? This year started. How many of us signed up for a gym membership or said, this is a year. You know, I've said it 10 years in a row, but this is a year I get super strong and healthy, right? But what many of us do is, is we, we do it on our own and we don't have any community or anyone to do it with us. And those of us that get into a community, have other people, hey, I'll show up to the gym with you or hey, let's sign up together. Those people tend to be way more successful than people that just do it on their own. Same thing with eating healthier. The same thing, if you have any goals, if you're doing it on your own and there's no community around you, you have a high failure rate. Same thing in business. I've seen so many men and women and they start businesses, but they don't get a community around them. So many marriages. When I do a marriage class, I say one of the number one things you want to have a great marriage, surround yourself with other people who are married. Have a good team around you. Some of them should be married longer. Some of them the same, but have a community and they're a buoy that just brings you up. Why are many marriages struggling? Because we keep all our problems in the home and don't share with anybody. And I'm embarrassed and, and I never want to get help. And yeah, you're set up for failure. Same thing in prayer. Some of you like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and I'm going to pray every morning. And then you do it three days in a row and you're like, I'm done, right? That's why we want to pray in connection groups, just so you know. That's why we want to pray here on Sunday mornings. And I know that can be hard. I know for some of you, you're like, oh, I don't really pray in front of people. And I'm like, okay, well, begin to get over it. But what do I say? What if the Holy Spirit tells you? What if it sounds dumb? Join the crowd. We all sound dumb. Welcome. But here's the thing. It's not about you. 
In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, listen, if you try to pray to impress other people, if the word's coming out, or is that someone like you, he would prefer you don't pray. He says, you're a hypocrite. I prefer authenticity. Keep it short, simple, with easy words to understand. That's how Jesus would prefer for you to pray. Pray from your heart. In fact, don't just pray from your heart. Pray from the heart of God. Pray from the heart of God. That's why John 15 says this. If you remain in, this is Jesus. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done. What he's saying is that when you're in the Bible, when you have a heart that wants to, that it beats like the heart of God does, your prayers will almost always be answered because you have the heart of God. Don't even pray out of your heart. Pray out of God's heart. What does God care about? Those who are oppressed, those who are poor, those who are hurting, those who are disconnected, those who are persecuted. What does God care about? Repentance of sin. Stop feeling guilty about sin. Repent of the sin. Turn from it. Pray the heart of God. But when we do communal prayer, what I notice in a church is when we like to pray together, then we usually are praying apart. So I'm just going to prep you because some of you are like, oh, crud, I know this is going. Yes, we're going to be praying this morning. Yes. And it's not some religious service thing. It's not to, it's because we're going to follow the Bible. How about we read it and then we do it? How about we do that, right? And let God transform us. So those of you that are a little scared, I'm just giving you some prep time start praying inside. Yeah, we're going to pray together, but here's the thing. It's about Jesus, not about you. And hopefully what this does is it inspires you to pray throughout the week by yourself. This is why also we have Wednesday morning prayer on, uh, online every week, eight o'clock in the morning. You can go on our Facebook page. You can click the link. And I bet if you ask anyone who prays regularly, Diane, Debbie, I know I'm going to miss someone. I shouldn't do this, right? But whoever else joins us, John and Katrina, Katrina's like, Ross, come on. Yeah, right? They actually organize it, so I better say your name. Yeah, right? I know for me, those prayer times, there's times where I'm having a rough week. I didn't want to click on it because I'm like, I just don't feel like talking to God. Ah, click on it. Why? Because I know some of you are like, aren't you a pastor? That's how pastors feel at times, right? And so, but earnest prayer, it's not about how I feel. And if we didn't have that eight o'clock Wednesday, guess what? I'd wake up Wednesday and I probably wouldn't pray. Almost every time, and, and you guys, if you talk to anybody that prays, on our, almost every time that when we get done, I'm praying more at the end of the week. I'm so inspired by hearing their prayers. And sometimes my prayers are, are lame. Or I'll be honest, sometimes I'm listening. Sometimes I'm listening, and I hear Debbie pray, and I'm just like, and I hear Diane pray. John, I hear him pray. Not so much. Not much. No, I'm just kidding, John. <laughs> John and Katrina pray, and it does, and they don't know. And I hang up, and I'm just like, thank you, God. Because today, I didn't want to talk to you, and I needed them. I needed them. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if they do that, then I will hear from heaven, forgive them of their sin, and heal their land. God will act. Many of you might not remember this, but um, November 9th, 1989, does that ring a bell to anybody? No, November 9th, 1989. Woo! Wifey points, wifey points, you got it. Yeah, the fall of the Berlin Wall. 
Many of you don't know this, but in the era I grew up in, uh, there's a thing called the Cold War. And we all thought that, uh, that Russia, that the Soviet Union was going was gonna to nuke us. In fact, uh, I don't many of you experienced this, but uh, we actually had tests or, or where they would do drills. This was in Fresno, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, who's going to bomb Fresno? Like, you know, we're like, this is the last place that Russia's going to be like, all right, LA and Fresno, gone, right? We're just, that was a horrible Russian. But yeah, that was bad. All right, but uh, we're going to pray pretty soon. I'm almost done. But, um, but we still, in Fresno, California, we had to practice these, these things. And many of us see that as a political movement, right? Who gets credit for the wall falling down in history books? Ronald Reagan gets credit. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve any credit. But I need you to know what was going on behind the scenes spiritually. Because there's things going on here in America behind the scenes spiritually. And if you always look to politics, you'll miss the spiritual. If you always look to the president, you'll miss God. So, November 9, 1989, the East German uh, walls fell down and they became a united country and the Cold War pretty much ended. What was happening, though, in this German town, I'm gonna, I think it's uh, Leipzig or Le- Lepig, I don't know how to say it, but in the small German town, um, L-E-I-P-Z-I-G, uh, there was a church since 1982 um, by Pastor Nikolai who had been praying since 92 every Monday night. Wasn't in the news. Nobody would have known about it since 1982. From that, they began to slowly, peaceful protests came out of that. But they said, we're going to always peacefully pray and peacefully protest. And so they honored the government by never demeaning them, but calling them to act in a moral way, in a peaceful way. But they were praying while they're doing it every Monday night since 1982. Just so you know, before November of 1989, in May, authorities barricaded the street that led to the church, one of the main streets, because they wanted to diminish the church, but they didn't want to seen, be seen as persecuting the church. And you know what happened after that? The church grew from 1,000 to over 2,000 to 3,000. You see, when you pray, what we got to understand is no government, no king, no nation, no person, no matter how arrogant they are, can stop the movement of God. And here's the thing, before we want the world to believe that, the church needs to believe it. We talk about the world needing to know God. I think first the church needs to know God and then the world will know him because when you know God, you can't help but stop praying or start praying or keep praying. That's better, yeah. You can't help because you know who he is and what he does. And that's what this church believed. And they didn't rely on politicians. They didn't rely on, I mean, they thought, I mean, 1982, you thought this cold war is gonna go on forever and God's like, no, it's not. And so this church was praying and this church was growing despite the authorities and what they were trying to do. One month before the fall of East Germany, over 70,000 peaceful protesters experienced tanks coming towards them and police coming towards them. There was an interview in a German magazine that the police at the time, he was interviewed after this happened, said that we actually asked the hospitals to open up beds because we planned on shooting people. They asked the hospitals to keep beds open because we're going to shoot people. But what the Christians did when they organized this, and you can go back, it's on video, it's on magazines. The pastor said, we're going to pray, we're going to peaceful protest, and we're going to hold candles. Hold them with two hands so that you never throw a rock. And as they did this, and they held these candles, the police did not shoot. 
And that's what changed history for them because all of a sudden the police culture changed. We're like, we can't kill them. They're our own. And that day, a month later, would change human history and the wall would fall. So yeah, Reagan was doing his thing, but God was doing his thing. When they interviewed the pastor, they said, um, you urged the demonstrators to remain peaceful and told them not to be daunted by the tanks. What made you so confident that a peaceful protest would work? And he said this, we were not the least confident. You see, we get this in our mind that to be a Christian, you need to be always confident. God will do it. God, you... A lot of godly Christians are like, eh, I don't know, but I'm going to pray. So don't think it's about confidence and about trying to be this Christian that's always like, yeah, you could be like, I don't know if he's going to do it. Don't let someone be like, oh, you need to have more faith. Just keep praying. That's, that shows your faith, not the amounts of just kind of gusto that you have. And it says, and he says, we're not the least confident. He says, we're afraid day and night. You can pray and be afraid day and night. Doesn't mean you lack faith. It means you're a human being. You're not a robot. But here's the key. Don't let your fear stop you from praying. That's the key. That's when we lose it as Christians. Not that we feel scared, but we stop praying. And he said, we're afraid day and night, but we had the courage of our convictions. The Bible had taught us the power of peaceful protest and prayer and that this was the only weapon we had. That's why he's confident. We have prayer and we have God. That's it. It says uh, the, uh, in the magazine, it says that, uh, do you believe that, um, that Germany would have collapsed even without the events in Leipzig? And he said, I don't believe so. Things were happening here that were not happening anywhere else. The regular peaceful prayers that have been taking place every week for many years and a large community of people had emerged who wanted to leave the country. There was a unique atmosphere at church. That's what happens when a church prays a lot. It just changes the atmosphere. New people walk in this door. Definitely not the building or the music or the lights or the preaching that's going to do it, right? But they walk in the door. Have you ever walked in? You're like, what's that vibe? Because you just walked into a praying church where things get down. We get down here. Things in the spiritual realm that we can't explain. That's what I want our church to be known for. Never anything else. And that's why he goes, I knew something was happening. Why? Because we were praying. That's how I knew. And that's how we're going to know. So don't fear mass mandates, no mass mandates. Peacefully protest if you want. Vote. I'm all for that. That's, but here's the thing. Don't put that in place of prayer. I would rather you never protest and pray every day. Start with prayer and then go from there, depending on whatever you think about the government. We have a lot of freedom here. But we also have the freedom to pray a lot, and that's where things take place. I hope that gives you confidence when you're praying for your kids. Oh my God, am I going to be a good parent? I'm going to pray because you're not. You're going to be a lame parent, just like all of us, right? We're all failures, right? I told my kids I don't have a college education, but I definitely have a counseling, you know, uh, you know, money for you. I don't have college, but I I can counsel because we messed up. But if I'm praying, parent, if I'm a praying church, nations change, people change, communities change. So I'm gonna have the worship team up here. And you guys, uh, I know it's a little bit of a challenge, but that's what we do at our church. It's not always comfortable, but we wanna grow you. If you wanna circle back up, if, if you kinda of stay in your groups, um, here's the thing. I know the first prayer is always the most awkward one where you're silent, we're all looking at each other. That's, that's fine. I wanna encourage you with this. Pray for protection, the protection of the church. Pray for protection of Christians in politics that are trying to serve God. 
and it's hard. Pray for Christian teachers who are in a dark environment and are handcuffed. Pray for missionaries that are in countries that we learned last week where police go into the church and try to shut them down in France and in China. Pray for protection, but also pray for expansion. Maybe pray for people who are disconnected from God. Maybe some of you come here today, you're like, I just need to repent. I need to say, God, I haven't been living for you. This is a safe environment. You can pray, but pray what God leads you to pray, not what you think you need to, to pray. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Don't try to be super spiritual. Don't change your voice. Don't use bigger words, right? If there's a little bit of silence, that's fine. And here's the other thing. Maybe for some of you, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Listen, because God does great things when you listen to him in prayer. So go ahead and just circle up now. I don't know who's going to start, Rope Shambo, but just start it off. Go for it, and then we'll get you into worship when we feel like you're ready for it. So go ahead and circle up and just start praying. Jesus, um, this is my favorite part of the service, just seeing Christians coming before and talking to you. God, we know that you bring down walls spiritually and physically. We know you change nations. We know you change people. God, you reach us in the darkest places and bring us to light. God, you change hearts that are sinful into righteous. You transform marriages. You change our kids. You move generations, Lord. I pray as a church that we'd never forget that and that we'd be a church that constantly prays together and when we're apart. That we'd seek to protect our fellow Christian brothers and sisters in our church and around the world. We'd be praying for each other. And that for the expansion of the church, it wouldn't come through a great program, but through great prayer, Lord. We take communion to honor you and to realize that we need you, but you want us. And we take communion because of your love and your sacrifice. And may we never forget that. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 